Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles now to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. We've been studying this book. We've come to the section from chapters 11 to 14 in which Paul is addressing some issues related to public worship. So we saw in chapter 11 how he addressed the uh, behavior of their uh, women prophets in the church, how he dealt with uh, confusion about the Lord's Supper. And then now in verse 12, we turn uh, to a matter of gifts and the use of these gifts. And actually, this is going to take up the rest of this little section, chapters 12, 13, and 14. So this is a, a serious problem in the church, and it's a helpful reminder to us. In fact, um, these verses that talk about the body of Christ are such an encouragement and such a help to us that uh, we're going to spend two weeks working through chapter 12. So this morning, I'll read verses 1 to 11, and then Lord willing, we'll take on the rest of the chapter next week. Let's listen now to God's word. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And there will in the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us as we think about it together this morning. A family who was a part of our church a number of years ago got very involved in the pro-life ministry here in town, and uh, so much so that they were going down to Planned Parenthood regularly to try to speak with uh, women uh, going in for services there. And um, over time, this family uh, became sort of disgruntled with the rest of the congregation because the rest of the congregation did not share uh, the same a passion for this ministry, or at least weren't involved in this ministry in the same way. And so they began to uh, be very critical of of the rest of the congregation that we didn't have the same commitment that they did to this one particular ministry. And uh, something sort of like this is going on in the, in the Corinthian church that we're reading about. Instead of appreciating the diversity of ministry and people's particular callings, there was an elevation of one particular gift and one particular type of ministry above all the others. Now, in this particular example we're reading about, it was this gift of speaking in tongues, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the sermon. But they had elevated this gift above all the others. They thought this was the primary gift. They thought they should be free to exercise this gift whenever they wanted. They looked down on others who didn't exercise this gift in the same way that they did. 
they actually were beginning to become very disruptive in the church. And so Paul is addressing this concern with them because their view of gifts had created an area of disruption and of division within the church. And what this passage helps to remind us is that the diversity of the body, of the church, should be a source of great celebration and thanksgiving. It should not be a source of division and our being disgruntled. Now, you might be saying, well, we're not really tempted to be elevating speaking in tongues here in this congregation. Does this really have anything to do with us? But of course, we, we do need to recognize the temptation for us to look around at the church and to say, what this church really needs is more people just like me. Right? And, and deep down inside, we know that there's a tendency to do that. We need more people that have the same philosophy, the same priorities, the same ministry objectives as I do. And if we could just get everybody on the same page with me, then this church would be a healthier, stronger, better place. And of course, if we think that way, uh, we're badly mistaken and we're not thinking about this issue the way God thinks about it. Because God celebrates the diversity that he puts in the church. And so as we look at this passage, our main point this morning is pretty straightforward. True diversity in the church is a gift from God. So you and I need to learn to appreciate it and to celebrate it as the gift that it is. And there is an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Children, I'd like to, if you're going to draw me a picture, could you please draw a picture of some of the different gifts that we have in this church? And you can draw some of the people maybe in this church and the different gifts and uh, listen as we talk about what Paul says about these gifts. So the first thing I'd like us to notice as we start working through the passage is that to be truly spiritual, you must be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. This is sort of a foundational principle as Paul starts this discussion discussion of gifts. In verse 1 of our text, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, and if you're reading the New King James Version like I am, you see that the word gifts is in italics because the word is not there. He literally just says, Now concerning spirituals or spiritual things. Um, He's talking to people who have written to him. And remember, this is his phrase that he uses when he's addressing something from the letter that they've sent him, now concerning. So they have written him something, we don't know exactly what, about being spiritual. They put a high premium on being spiritual people living in the new age, those who were led by the spirit. And it's clear that for them, the spectacular spiritual gifts were the ones that they really valued the most. And Paul says to them in this first verse, I do not want you to be ignorant. They were ignorant. They were acting uh, in an unbiblical way as they thought about their gifts. And so Paul, in the first three verses here, wants to establish what's foundational if we're going to think about being spiritual people, if we're going to think about spiritual gifts. And so he says in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. He said, let's just take a minute and remember who you were. This is a largely pagan church. And children, I know your parents have said you shouldn't call people dumb. Uh, Paul is, is here referring to being unable to speak. And so he's saying the idols are dumb idols. They cannot talk, which means they are lifeless. And so he's critiquing them. They were like 
sort of like animals being led away to follow these idols. Uh, Speaking about this, John Calvin says, let us learn from this passage how great is the blindness of the human mind when it is without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Inasmuch as it stands in amazement at dumb, that is, lifeless idols, and cannot rise higher in searching after God, nay, more, it is led by Satan as if it were a brute. Paul is reminding them who they were. And uh, we have to recognize this is exactly who we are apart from the grace of God. And Paul wants them to understand here that there is a true test, a starting point for understanding uh, spiritual gifts. And that is, he says in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so we understand, before we start talking about spiritual gifts, to be spiritual gifts, they have to be coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to be flowing in the life of a person who loves Jesus Christ. That's why he says this. Anyone who says Jesus is accursed, who was saying Jesus was accursed? Well, a lot of people were because Jesus had been hung on a cross. And in the Old Testament, it says anyone who is hung on on a tree is accursed of God. So many people said Jesus is a blasphemer. Jesus isn't really the Son of God, and they had rejected him. Those who were following Jesus Christ were saying, as Paul says here, Jesus is Lord. That is a basic Christian confession of faith in the New Testament because the alternative was to say that Caesar was Lord. By saying Jesus is Lord, they're saying Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord God Almighty, and I worship him. I put in your outline some cross-references that make this point. In Romans 10, verse 9, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so to be spiritual, one has to be a follower of Christ And the Bible also tells us that every true follower of Jesus Christ has been given the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans 8, verses 9 and verse 14, where here Paul says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so Paul's trying to establish right up front in this discussion in Corinthians that if you want to have any idea about spiritual gifts, you have to be walking with Jesus Christ. This has to be flowing out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now at the university, um, I'm getting emails reminding me of uh, different opportunities to help my wellness, uh, my well-being. And so uh, I was uh, noticing there just last week an advertisement for midday mindfulness sessions. So uh, I could, if I wanted to, avail myself of these sessions which, quote, uh, practice the relaxation tools of conscious breathing, meditation, and chair yoga. And these were things that, um, they have sort of a Buddhist origin, but the idea is apparently to help me get my mind right. And it's a reminder that in our society, sort of being spiritual, being a kind of spiritual person, that is actually okay. That's affirmed, even so much that our university can kind of be encouraging us to practice a sort of spiritualism. But true spirituality is something that only flows 
out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that God's Holy Spirit comes into our lives, changes us, and flows through us. So Paul was reminding us, before we even begin this discussion about gifts, the focus has to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I'm thinking about my gifts or your gifts, and I'm not thinking about them in relation to Jesus Christ, then I'm not thinking about them properly. True gifting, spirituality, comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see in this passage that a mature believer will appreciate the wonderful diversity of gifts and ministries that are found in the congregation. So Paul goes on in verse 4 to say there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Some of your translations say varieties. It's the same word that he uses throughout verses 4 to 6, these diversities of gifts. Now what's really interesting here is that back in verse 1, when he says, now concerning spiritual things, he uses the word there, the Greek word for spirit. And he's quoting them. This is what they wrote to him. We're interested in about these spirit things. And they use the word for spirit. But now here in verse 4 and following, when Paul says there's a diversity of gifts, he uses a different word. He's not using the word for spirit. He's actually using the word for grace. This is the word from which we get the English word charismatic because it's based on the Greek word for grace, which is charis. So Paul is gently here reminding him, you're very interested in the spirit and in the power that you think comes through the spirit. I'm interested in you thinking about gifts of grace, gifts of grace, these gifts that God gives to his people. And the point here is that these gifts come in many forms. So we'll look at this in a a few moments, but in verses 8 through 10 in this passage, and then later in verses 28 to 30, he lists nine different gifts, and they're not exactly the same list. In Romans chapter 12, he lists seven different gifts. In Ephesians chapter 4, he lists four different gifts. And every time these lists are slightly different. And the point is that this is not meant to be an exhaustive catalog of all the gifts that there are, but it is meant to remind us that there are a broad and diverse set of gifts and that God gifts his people in many, many ways. And as we look at this over the next couple of weeks, we'll see some of these gifts have to do with teaching, with Bible interpretation, some that are miraculous like healing or prophecy, some that seem very mundane like administration or service, but there are many different gifts. And then he goes on to say in verse 5, there are differences of ministries or, or, or services. And, and this is a helpful thing for us to think about so that the same skill set may be used even in different ways. Maybe a person has a gift of teaching and that gift of teaching is manifested in one-on-one discipleship or small group study. Maybe someone else's gift of teaching is manifested in teaching in a a larger format with more people. But the the same gift can be manifested in different services, different types of ministry. And this is something we need to understand. Verse 6, he talks another way about this diversity. There are many, there are diversities of activities, or some of your translations say workings. And this also reminds us that we don't always see the same effect when different people use their gifts. 
Uh, some people, uh, we, we think of uh, the great missionary John Payton, a man of great faith who lost wife and son and yet went and served uh, tribes of cannibals and God eventually bringing great fruit through his life. We think of other people manifesting the gift of faith, faithfully coming to worship God week after week, faithfully praying. They're in their home. They're in their community. There aren't books written about uh, this person's faith. That's true for most of us. But it's, it's a similar gift, different workings, as the scripture says. It's all God's work uh, through us. That's the important thing to remember. And so in these three verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, the first word in each sentence in the original language is diversity. Diversity of gifts, diversity of ministry, diversity of workings. That is the focus, the variety, the great variety that God has given us. Now, Lord willing, after this service, we're going to go downstairs and enjoy a meal together. Now, children, I want you to think about this with me. If you go downstairs and you see all the dishes laid out on the table, and it's only 9 by 13s, that's all we got, 9 by 13s, no other shape or size of dish. And you go over and you say, well, it's a casserole. Hey, it's a church, it's a church pitching. What, you know, of course it's a casserole. But you realize every single dish is the same casserole. There's going to be plenty of food. Everybody's going to get plenty to eat, but there's one choice. You say to yourself, okay, I know I've got the trump card. I'm going to go over to the dessert area. And there in the dessert area is another casserole, exactly the same. Now, what are you going to say about that? Well, I'm glad we have food to eat. Right? We'll be thankful, but some, it's not going to feel right. It's not going to feel right. Because there isn't the diversity there. I'm looking forward to going down there thinking, our Chinese brothers and sisters, are they coming back to worship with us in the seconds? Maybe there's some Chinese food. I'm going to go see what kind of hunk of meat Dan Linzenbart has prepared. I'm look, or what Wendy Horning, what elaborate salad she has brought. I know where I'm going. I'm going to look around. I know there's going to be a diversity there. And on that dessert section, there's going to be all these choices. And that is a blessing. That is a great blessing to have that kind of diversity. And this is what Paul is helping us understand in the church. It is a great blessing to have all kinds of different people from different backgrounds who are sharing their gifts together. One of my favorite preachers has said, if you're in a church or any organization that demands everybody be the same... You're, you're looking at something that has the qualities of a cult. That's not a church. That's a cult. A church allows for individual differences and, in fact, celebrates that. And we need to look at our church in the same way. We have a wonderful variety of people in this church. We have young. We have old. We have married. We have single. We have working. We have retired. We have families with kids and families without kids. We have people that work at the university. We have townspeople. We have lifelong Hoosiers. We have everybody else. Um, we have... <laughs> We have people that are sort of behind-the-scenes people. We have people that are out-front people. Uh, we have people who can fix things. We have people who can sing. Uh, we have people who can teach. It's a wonderful uh, blessing that we have such a diversity, and we need to celebrate that 
and praise the Lord for it. Thirdly, we see in this passage that your particular gifts are to be used to bless the others in the congregation. So in verses uh, 8 through 10, Paul goes on to list uh, particular gifts. And let's just look at these for a moment. So in verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So here you have the idea of people who understand God's word, who know how to apply it in life, who perhaps know how to teach it also. Uh, in, in verse 9, you see a mention there of to another faith. So uh, obviously every Christian has faith or else we, we couldn't be saved. But here it seems to be referring to sort of an extraordinary faith, maybe this faith that moves mountains that Jesus talked about. Or it talks about gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Uh, read the book of Acts. You see the gift of healing being used uh, in many places and many times, this miraculous ability to heal. Or uh, in verse 10, to another workings of miracles. Again, we have many examples of this in the book of Acts, even so much as to, uh, as to have people raised from the dead. Um, or as it mentions here, uh, the, the, uh, to another prophecy. This is a gift and we talked about this some a couple of weeks ago, that it seems that people were able to speak under the inspiration of the Spirit uh, occasionally. Uh, not like the apostles who were writing the Scripture, but they were inspired to speak and to reveal things uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, then it says in the next part of verse 10, um, gifts to discern the spirits. And uh, I suppose this is like what John writes about in 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. How do we know whether what we're hearing is really from God? And then finally, it mentions here different kinds of tongues and the interpretation of the tongues. Now, we're, we're not going to say everything I might hear, because almost all of chapter 14 addresses this issue of speaking in tongues. Let me just say here that there's a great debate over what speaking in tongues means. It's clear in the book of Acts that speaking in tongues was a, a, the ability to speak in a foreign language, a known foreign language, without perhaps studying for it or learning it. And so at Pentecost this happens and people are hearing the gospel preached in their own native tongue. So these people were speaking foreign languages. And so some of the older commentators, they're adamant that, that that is exactly what this means here. This must be known languages. And one of the, the arguments they make there is because, well, if interpretation is possible, then it must be a known language. Uh, uh, the, the only problem with that is why do we need a special spiritual gift to interpret a known language. Why don't you just have the person from that place come up and interpret for you? So others have suggested maybe what's going on in Corinthians here is somewhat different. One perhaps clue from chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, as he starts to talk about love, that some have hypothesized that uh, that this is some kind of angelic language or heavenly language that they had been given by the Spirit. Regardless of what this means, Paul's point here is they are misusing it. And, and that's where this is going to be helpful for us. Sometimes I think when we study these passages, our focus is all on, well, which ones of these gifts are still 
operable today and which one aren't. And that's a worthy thing to talk about, and we're going to do that later. But that's definitely not what Paul's focus was on, because in Paul's day, these were all being used. These were all happening in the church. So Paul has a different uh, thing in mind. And I think you can see from verse 7 what he thinks is really important. He says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And it's quite striking as you read through this list. He says to one this is given, to another, to another, to another, to another. They do not have the same gifts. They have different gifts. They are not all the same. They receive their gift from the same spirit. Some of the gifts are probably sort of ordinary. Some seem to be supernatural. But all of them are coming from the Holy Spirit. And verse 7 says all are given for the profit of the whole church. That's the purpose of gifts, to edify the body of Christ. And so this is how we can apply this. Any gift you have has been given to you, not for yourself, but for the benefit of the church, the body of Christ. Uh, This verse uh, from Romans uh, helps us see the same idea, Romans 12, verses 6 to 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Use your gifts. And notice there, it's always in the context of the body of Christ. This is one of the problems with saying I don't need the church or I can stay home and separate myself from God's people. You can't do it. You cannot use your gifts in the context of the body if you're not a part of the body. This is why this is so critical. The problem in Corinth, as far as we can tell, is that they were really enamored with this gifts of tongues. Uh, Whatever it meant, and we'll talk about it more in a couple of weeks, they thought it was better, more important than any of the other gifts. And they turned it, using that gift, into an occasion for self-promotion. This was a way to put the spotlight on themselves, not to edify the rest of the church. And they made this one gift the spiritual gift. Now recognize Just by nature of these gifts, he says we don't all have the same gifts. One has this, another has this, another has it. There's no way one gift can be normative for everybody. Everybody has to have it or else they're a second-class Christian. That's completely erroneous thinking, but that's what they were thinking. And I think this is why Paul lists, he does it here, he's going to do it again later in this chapter. He goes through a list and he lists tongues last. Because he's telling them this isn't the most important gift. This is a list of gifts. There are many different gifts. And this is just one of many gifts. And that your job is to appreciate all of the gifts. Matthew Henry speaking about what this passage is really pressing home to us says, Whatever gift God confers on any man, he confirms them, he confers them that he may do good with them. Whether they be common gifts or spiritual gifts, The outward gifts of his bounty are to be improved for his glory and employed in doing good to others. No man has them merely for himself. They are a trust put into his hands. 
Spiritual gifts are bestowed that men may with them profit the church and promote Christianity. They are not given for show, but for service, not for pomp and ostentation, but for edification, not to magnify those who have them, but to edify others. That's really well said. Whatever your gift is, the purpose of the gift is to bless the other people in the church. And Charles Hodge, speaking similarly, says, when God's gifts, natural or supernatural, are perverted as a means of self-exaltation or aggrandizement, it is a sin against their giver as well as against those for whose benefit they were intended. And this is important for us to think about. You, you may not feel particularly gifted. God says otherwise. Each person has been gifted in different ways. And you have something that the rest of the church needs. The rest of the church needs what you have. And even if that is just simply showing up consistently or praying regularly, or speaking a word of encouragement, that is vital to the health of the body of Christ. Every single person has something to give, and the church needs you to use your gifts to bless others. Fourthly, we see here that God has very carefully planned the diversity of the church. He says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Each individual person has particular interests, abilities, opportunities. Those are given by God according to his plan. And the collection of gifts and abilities that are in the church as a whole are also organized by God. Uh, Leon Morris speaking about this says, diversity is no accidental attribute of the body. It is of its very essence. And we'll talk more about the body next week. But this is true in the church as it is in a human body. All the parts fit together by design. God designed the body to work that way. And the same thing is true in the church. All the pieces are put together by God's design. Last week I, uh, I had the privilege of writing a number or editing a number of reports uh, and you and Carrie has done a lot of work to put all these reports together please get a copy if you don't have a mailbox and you'd like a copy let us know and I think we should be able to maybe email an electronic version out um, it's great way to look at what's going on in the church the ministry that's happened in the last year and sort of set the table for the coming year but as I was writing the report about the 200th anniversary that we celebrated this last year and the committee that organized that, it, it was amazing to think back of everything that happened in association with that celebration, which we did over two different weekends. Uh, the people we invited, the concert, the lectures, the historical talks, uh, the tours, the um, the meal, the, the games, the, the time of worship together, uh, the barn dance that we had, the hog roast, the, the pastor's round table, 
um, the, uh, the guest speakers that we had, the meal, the fellowship meal, the movie that we produced, the, the book that we produced. Uh, and you look at all that and you try to think, how in the world did that happen? How was it even possible that we could have all those different things happen? And there's only one answer to that, is that God working through a diverse body of believers uh, with people gifted so that they could produce a 200-page book, others gifted so that they could uh, produce a 45-minute documentary video, uh, and, and then all the different things that happened in between, people planning, people communicating, people cleaning up after it was over. It, it was, it's an amazing thing that we were able to do, and it's just a picture of the way God has put together this particular body of Christ. So we were able to do that celebration, but probably much more importantly, that we're here as a church after 200 years because God has orchestrated the members of this body in such a way that he has put a diversity together that enables us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. And that's the key, that Christ is the focus. No one person, no one group, no one gift, but Christ, Christ is the focus, and he is the one who has put us together. And this is why, as we think about this topic of diversity, we have to recognize what true diversity looks like and what the kind of superficial, false diversity that is celebrated in our culture looks like. Where our culture wants to group everybody up on external qualifications and characteristics and evaluate you based on your membership in a group, whether it's racial or gender or whatever it is. And God doesn't work that way. God looks at each person as an individual. And yeah, race, gender, all that stuff is part of who you are, but that's not what defines us. Being in Christ is what defines us, and he brings us together with our diversity of interests and abilities and, and desires and he builds something truly beautiful and amazing. The diversity of our church is carefully planned by God. And so finally, this text calls you to celebrate the true diversity of the church as a reflection of God's very nature. Now, if you look again in verses 4 to 6, there was something there that I didn't mention. Because as it talks about diversities of gifts, he says the same spirit. Verse 5, diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And verse 6, diversities of activities, but it is the same God. Paul very intentionally mentions there the same, the same, the same three members of the Trinity, right? The Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. And so we need to recognize that the diversity that's in the body of Christ is a reflection, it's an outgrowth of the wonderful diversity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Gordon Fee, in speaking about this, says, the one God who is himself characterized by diversity within unity has decreed the same for his church. And Lord willing, when we look at the rest of this chapter next week, we'll focus more on the unity aspects of this text. But what God is emphasizing here is the great diversity that we have that is reflecting God, our God, one God in three persons. God the Father who ordains 
and elects and overrules all things. And God the Son, who came as a human being into the world and lived among his people and died in place of his people and rose from the dead and serves even to this day as the mediator between God and his people. And God the Spirit, the one who works in the world. Verse 11 is a great proof text that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a him. It's, it's not just an it. It's not an, a nebulous force. It's a person. He is a person. The Holy Spirit works in the world to, to bring spiritual life, to apply the work of Christ, to change our hearts, to gift us, and to enable us to serve the Lord. All that we see around us in this world that's good is the product of this glorious God working three persons together. And this is why God wants the church to be similar. A glorious diversity that's knit together in one purpose and unity. That's the amazing thing that God had done for the Corinthians, and they weren't seeing it. They weren't seeing it. They wanted everybody to be the same. As you look at what God's word tells you today, give thanks for the diversity that we have. What a blessing that God mixes us together and builds something truly beautiful in Christ. True diversity in the church is a gift. It's a gift. And we all need to learn to celebrate it and to appreciate it more and more. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's easy for us to think that life would be easier if everyone was just the same as we are. We recognize how foolish that is. We thank you for this portion of your word, which reminds us of what a wonderful gift it is to have a diverse body of servants of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought people literally from all over the world together into this body, and you've gifted us differently and you've put our personalities together differently. We're so thankful, Lord, for the way that that diversity enriches us and enables us to be more effective as a body of Christ, as we love one another, as we seek to reach out into this community. Uh, We're so thankful for what you've done and that this isn't uh, some sort of anomaly. This is by design because our diversity is rooted in your diversity, Lord, as one God in three persons. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to appreciate what an incredible blessing this is for us to reflect your glory out to the world. And that as we appreciate and celebrate the diversity that's here, even as we seek to work together, that we reflect your glory to a world that is broken and hurting and deeply divided. And we pray, Lord, you would help us Uh, to be a body of believers that would truly reflect uh, the, the love that you have within the members of the Trinity to the world and that you would use us as a faithful witness. We pray all these things in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's uh, sing our praise back to the Lord from Psalm 111. So again, in the blue psalm book, if you turn to Psalm 111, uh, we'll sing selection A. Uh, This speaks about the marvelous works of God and uh, the the, the psalmist's desire to praise God for his works in stanza two. The works accomplished by the Lord are very great in might. They're studied closely by all those who find in them delight. And even as we sing about the power of God here, we recognize his power and glory 
in uh, bringing together diverse people uh, to be one church. Let's stand and let's sing our praise to him.